Welcome back to The Review, starring Justin Parrish and Ryan Jordan. Getting back into this week in sports, looking at the NBA, big things have happened. I was sitting at work and honestly was really surprised because I we'd all been hearing rumors about uh, the NBA, you know, postponing or canceling games or sitting out games as a social movement for the recent police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement. I didn't think they'd actually do it for some reason. Um, money, influence, kind of stuff like that. It's hard, especially in the playoffs now that we're in the bubble. That was at least my take on it. So looking at the TV and seeing, I guess, the Bucks to start the chain of dominoes, and then you see the next, then you see Houston and OKC pull out, and that kind of pushed everyone to, you know, postpone until Saturday. Um, the, then the, what was it? The Clippers and the Lakers voted to just cancel the rest of the season, correct? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I just, it, it kind of came out of, not out of left field, but the decision to actually do it came out of left field. Yeah, I mean, looking back, I think it was almost inevitable, but beforehand, I definitely wasn't sure that they would actually go through, because that's a big game for them to just decide to offend Milwaukee, to be that first domino, to say, hey, we're going to sit out a playoff game over uh, social injustice and police brutality. That's huge to do, but if you're the other, I got to imagine the other, I guess, we're, we're... were all all the series still playing at that point, or no? Because I guess Boston and Toronto had swept. Yeah. But uh, if you're uh, one of the other, what, like ten teams, something like that, you, how do you justify like if you're uh, Portland and LA or you're uh, OKC and Houston, how do you justify like yeah, it was the Bucks deem this important enough that they're gonna sit a playoff game in protest, but it's not a big enough deal to us that we're just gonna keep playing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It was because I texted you as soon as it kind of happened, and we, you were like, well, "Yeah, once one team does, they all have to do it." And you're right, because yeah. you you look like a hypocrite if you don't, um, especially if you're going to promote social justice and everything like that. And then one team does, and you don't, it absolutely started a kind of a chain effect to where it even influenced Major League Baseball, which is, in my opinion, outside of NHL, the most conservative, yeah. and yeah, and them two are the most conservative, laid back not social justice issued narrative leagues possible and them taking a stand with the NBA was I, I thought pretty cool um, obviously yeah. they, they got back in action yesterday we're recording this on Sunday um, but no hey man it, at the end of the day it, the fans can be as mad as they want they can be angry as they want um, the players don't play for the fans uh, I'm sorry the owners own team for the fans but the players don't play for the fans and I thought it was really cool to see the, the entire group stand up for something that they felt so strongly about. I, again, I really, as much as it, the double standard, just outside of basketball, the double standards and everything, it's mostly political stuff that has double standards, but the double standards just with everything kill me. Because if you're one of the guys, and I know there were plenty of people that, oh, the NBA is going to sit out a playoff game to protest police brutality. I'm never watching the NBA again. One, who cares? You're some random fan that probably, if you really feel that way, you probably watch the NBA twice a year anyway. You maybe tune in for two finals games. They ain't missing you. But I bet I'd be willing to bet a lot of those people that were not in favor of the NBA uh, sitting out playoff games in protest, I would be willing to bet a lot of them uh, have that shut up and dribble mindset. Like you're an athlete, you need to be, you need to be playing basketball. That is your job. But as a fan, I'll tell you, shut up and spectate. Like, if you're going to tell the athletes, 
shut up and dribble, then it's also not your place to tell. If you're going to say, like, athletes, you can't involve yourself in politics because you're not a politician, then on the same foot as a fan, you shouldn't have any opinion on either side because you're a fan. It's your job to spectate. It's not your job to tell them when they should or shouldn't play. So the double standards there just crack me up. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you there. Um, But moving on, just talking about the – I guess we start with the Clippers in Dallas, especially with what's happened to Luka and Marcus Morris. It's been quite the ride. Uh, I, I can't believe that Marcus Morris tried to make some BS tweet about, you know, it was non-intentional because if it was anyone not with the last name Morris, I don't care whether it's Marcus or Markeith, um, then yeah, maybe, maybe. But that dude has a history of being dirty. That dude has a history of, Hard fouls that go over the line way too often for me to buy his tweet. And then to follow that up in the game today with another hard foul on Luka where it kind of looked like he was intentionally trying to land on his ankle and swing his feet up. It was tough to watch. Um, I understand Luka has a little bit of la flop in him where he, he's a little overdramatic. He complains to the refs a lot, but Marcus Morris is just doing way too much right now. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It's playoff basketball. You're you're playing more physical. The refs let more go. But uh, anytime you're like, eventually, yeah, you're you're gonna be involved in a couple plays that probably look dirty that are completely unintentional. But I mean, after so many coincidences, maybe you were just a player that put yourself in position to make dirtier plays, whether they seem accidental or not, whether you can play them off as being accidental or not. And I don't know if you were watching the game earlier but i saw that foul i was watching it live and there was nothing floppy about it he hacked the hell out of luca and luca has every right to complain on that one maybe an ejection flagrant two was a little bit much but given the two of their history just in this playoff series let alone marcus morris's history uh in general i i i'm i'm okay with it i think Maybe a little bit far, but I, I'd rather them give a flagrant two than not a flagrant at all. Yeah, I tweeted out flagrant two seemed like a little much on that. It seemed more or less like a basketball play. Um, there was probably some intent behind it, knowing Marcus Morris, again, past history, as I've kind of alluded to. Uh, Marcus Morris really strikes me as a guy who just gets mad when another player is better than him. Like, we, we've all been in situations like that where you're facing a guy, especially in basketball, where he's just better than you, and your only result is to foul, and Marcus Morris just seems to get angry about it. Because um, Luka in this series averaged 31 points a game on 47% shooting, uh, and that's along with 10 rebounds and 9 assists. So he essentially averaged a triple-double. Um, if you want to round numbers up, 31, 10, and 9 which is insane, and Marcus Morris just seems like the guy to get mad that someone is doing that good. I'm just going to take him out so he can win. Uh, yeah, I, I'm i not a fan of Marcus Morris. I, I definitely get that vibe from him, too, that he just kind of, I feel like his best attribute is just being a bully. He's, I mean, he's still a valuable player, but he's a role player, and his job, more or less, is to pick the fights and play dirty like Kawhi and PG can't because they've kind of got to stay. they got to stay out of foul trouble. They can't be picking up play, borderline flagrancies and getting ejected. You can't have that happening from Kawhi or PG. So I feel like that's Marcus Morris's uh, biggest attribute for the Clippers. And it, yeah, kind of goes along with what you said. 
It has to be. And, like, he does it in such a weird way because Pat Bev does the same kind of thing. But even Pat Bev, like, he goes at LeBron. He's extremely aggressive with LeBron because them two butt heads. But I don't see Patrick Beverly looking like he's ever intentionally trying to hurt LeBron. Marcus Morris looks like he's trying to intentionally hurt him. That that's yeah. that's that's like the difference between those two kind of scenarios for me. Yeah, Pat Bev's a gamer, and I feel like Pat Bev also, at least defensively, has the reputation and the level of play to back up being scrappy like that. Uh, I feel like Marcus Morris is nowhere near the defender that Pat Bev is. Yep, I agree. Uh, on the flip side of that series, Paul Rollercoaster George. Um, he came out with a statement and said during quarantine and during the bubble, he was he was in a bad place. And I understand that. Like, I, I bet it's really rough on you. Um, as an NBA superstar, I probably wouldn't make a statement to the media like that. I might talk to my teammates, my coach, my athletic trainer, uh, my mental guys first. I'm not sure I would just come out and say it. I feel like it's a bad look when your star player is saying he's, like, checked out, essentially, mentally. Um, you may be. You can be behind the scenes. I, I wouldn't have made a statement like that. But his numbers prove it. Um, just over the series, 27 game one, 14 game two, 11 game three, nine game four. Comes back for 35 in game five and then back down to 15 again in game six. Um, just absolute roller coaster from PG. I just I can't figure out what it is, man. He just he looks like he's not there for about four minutes of the game, and then for about two minutes he takes every shot he possibly can. Yeah, I now if uh, PG was just looking for an out and really just wasn't playing well and wanted the media off his back, shame on him. But if he really was struggling mentally in the bubble, then I I commend him for coming out and saying that. Yeah, to some people it may look like an excuse, but I, we uh, Kevin Love I think has talked about mental health a lot too as a player, and to see a guy like that that everybody thinks is a superstar and I think a lot of kids still look up to for him to come out and publicly say like hey I wasn't in a good place I recognize that I talked to people around me I got help good for him because that takes some guts and I really commend him for uh, coming out and saying that knowing that that's not the easiest thing to do and there's going to be people that ridicule him and uh, tell him he's just making excuses looking for an out so yeah if that's really the case from PG I'm, I'm glad to see him turn it around too because He's a heck of a player, and man, if him and Kawhi are on, especially PG, I guess he's a little more inconsistent. If they're on, that's going to be a heck of a Western Conference final potential matchup between them and the Lakers. Yep, I agree. Um, Clippers ended up taking it 4-2 tonight in a 111 97 win. Uh, the other game tonight, Nuggets Jazz, Utah's up 3-2. to And the question I want to pose to you is who are you taking for the future, Donovan Mitchell or Jamal Murray? Ooh, that is tough because – Mitchell's got a little bit longer of a track record, but you know me all the way back to that Buffalo Wild Wings four or five years ago. Jamal Murray's legit. I've always been a believer in Jamal Murray. I kind of had a hunch that he was going to be a stud, even in Kentucky, just watching him. So because I've been on the Jamal Murray train the whole time, I'm going to have to go Jamal Murray. But it, it is so close, and I think if you've got either of them leading your team, you're in a very good spot. I, I Dude, I'm telling you, I feel like Jamal Murray is insane offensively. Um, I think the only reason I might take Mitchell over him is the defense aspect. But ju yeah. just speaking on Mitchell, we do not hear enough about him. Like, at no. all. Oh. Like, it just – he is a physical scorer. He can do it from 30 feet away from the basket. He can do it 
from the restricted area in everywhere in between. Um, he's not, I would say, as consistent, but, I mean, he's he's a young guy. He's not going to be the most consistent player in the world. I love me some Donovan Mitchell. I think you get him in a series where he's playing, I would say, a more nationally recognized team, team that gets more media coverage. We might be talking about Donovan Mitchell in a different light here in a couple weeks just because everyone's going to hop on the Donovan Mitchell bandwagon again. Um, mm-hmm. you, you remember when he first broke in the league and – there, there was a pretty big following for him. And then the Utah effect took over where, you know, not a lot of people talk about him because it's a small mm-hmm. market. But these dudes are insane together. Um, Jamal Murray really looks like he could be a, the, a 10-year pick-and-pop guy with Nikolai uh, Jokic. Oh, yeah. That, that pairing is insane. And I definitely – I think you definitely make the argument for Mitchell. I The way he attacks the basket just – gets me murray's a better three-point shooter but mitchell going to the basket and anything within 15 feet he's just insane but the murray Jokic pairing my goodness that might be the best young duo in the game yeah murray Jokic, they're two guys that when you look at i don't think 60 points a game 20 you know 15 yeah. rebounds and honestly 20 assists with the way Jokic yeah. can pass the ball too, but right now they're stacking up to be really nasty. Um, going Utah's up three to two. I have Utah closing it in a game seven. I think Denver takes it tonight. I, the thing that strikes me about Utah that I really don't like is right now it's Donovan Mitchell and Donovan Mitchell and Donovan Mitchell. Um, they have a guy like Jordan Clarkson off the bench, Joe Ingles. They can get hot. Um, and provide him the help, and I, that's when they win games. Rudy Gobert is zero on offense. He's absolute zero unless he's catching a couple lobs, and Mike Conley looks like he's at the end of the road right now with the way he's been playing. Um, so I think it all hinges on, A, R- Gobert playing insane defense on Jokic, which, lucky for Gobert, it's a really good matchup for him, and Mitchell dropping at least 30, 40 points. Yeah, I... I'm kind of torn on this because I want to say I I just I really can't see how Denver comes back from being down 3-1. Winning three games in a row in the playoffs is so hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have especially Warriors a couple of years ago doing that to KD when he was in the Thunder. I, I just, you don't see a lot of 3-1 playoff deficits erased. And I I just think there's no way the Jazz dropped three in a row. Um, I want to say Jazz in seven, too, but I almost think if Denver wins tonight, they might win game seven. So I'm going to go Jazz in six. I think they get it tonight. All right. I don't All think right. they go to a game seven. Yeah, totally fair. Um, looking at, I would, get, I would say the last series that's still going on, Rockets and Thunder, Russell Westbrook had a terrible game. I mean, first game back, so we'll give him that much, but – I don't think there's much to talk about here for me. I think Houston wins game six and just moves on. Uh, OKC was a nice Cinderella story there for a little bit. But even when Westbrook's not contributing offensively, he's still a top three defensive guard in the league. And that's going to – whether S, uh, SGA's in or Chris Paul's high, they're just going to throw Westbrook on one of them. And that's kind of just going to shut OKC down. So I have Houston winning game six as well. Yeah, I I just think there's uh, too much talent on the Houston side to lose that series because what they're up three two now. Yes. Yeah, they I can't see them dropping the last two games to get uh, beat by OKC. As much as I like OKC, I 
comes back to, especially in the playoffs, you've got to have that superstar level talent. And Chris Paul is just not on the same level as Westbrook or Harden now. But side note, I really hope Chris Paul finds his way to a different team next year as much as I have liked to see him lead this OKC team. And they've been kind of a Cinderella story. I don't think anybody expected them to be sitting in the five seed right now. But I, I want to see him go to a legitimate contender. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've never been the biggest Chris Paul fan over the years. I don't know why. I don't really have a particular reason. He's just been one of the guys I've liked. But I would like to see him on a contender. He's he's really swayed my opinion on this OKC team. I think he's done a great job with SGA and Dennis Schroeder. And Schroeder's been a very pleasant surprise, considering he was basically uh, get out and you know a get out of here Trey Youngs here um, from Atlanta. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty disrespectful to Schroeder in and as itself. I mean, I know Trey Young's kind of Atlanta's future guy, but Schroeder had enough to offer a team off the bench, and Atlanta basically just kicked him to the curb. Um, I didn't like that at all. So it's nice to see both of those guys progressing under the likes of Chris Paul. Yeah. If Paul were to go to a team next year, where do you think he'd be a good fit? I think he'd be a great fit in Milwaukee. Honestly, um, he he wouldn't have he he, he facilitates the ball really well. Um, when Giannis wasn't bringing up the court, he can still help make some threes. He can still play decent defense, and he'd just be another leader on that team. Because um, that's the only thing that worries me about Giannis. Sometimes uh, we've seen it in some big games where Giannis can take over, but he doesn't have the same LeBron Kawhi leadership effect. Sometimes it, it, it's it, I can't really put it into words, but it's just like those two guys, along with maybe a guy, Tim Duncan had it. Um, there are guys where they just bring everyone up to their level, and sometimes it looks like it's one-on-five with Giannis. Yeah, I I would like to see Chris Paul in Milwaukee, too. I, I don't know what you do with him if you're the Thunder, honestly, because he's got two years left and $85 million on his deal, and that is a enormous amount of money to move over i don't think he can i think he's one of the most untradeable players in the league yeah and not because he can't play just that contract i props to daryl morey for uh moving him out of there because as, as much as i like chris paul and he's still a contributor 41 and 44 million over the next two years for a 35 and 36 year old point guard who's one of his best skills is being quick i it, it's tough, especially with how athletic everybody is in the league. Now nah, it's tough to hang around as a 35, 36-year-old. And yeah, maybe he just rides out in OKC and kind of mentors SGA and Schroeder because they're still, yeah, SGA especially, still really young. And yeah, I would, I would like to see him go somewhere that he could really compete for a championship, but I don't know if that'll happen in the next two years. I just don't know where you move him to. No, it won't. He's, he's an untradeable contract because um, it's not like OKC's trading him to where they're getting something back and he's a salary dump or anything like that. I just don't think there's any scenario he goes to a Lakers or to a Milwaukee for, you know, where, where they're just going to eat that contract. It's just too much. Yeah. I mean, the only way I can really see it uh, working out, if you're Milwaukee, you trade Bledsoe, and Middleton would probably have to go to just yeah. to make this out. Then absolutely no one on OKC is worth Chris Middleton. Yeah. Yeah, so I just can't. I can't see that happening. 
Um, moving on to the next series, Lakers Trailblazers. The Lakers take it pretty handily, um, winning four games. The Blazers won their one game. The the talking heads got to make their predictions. You know, oh, the Blazers can upset the Lakers. You know, C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard are just going to run things. Blah 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 blah. And then LeBron and AD did LeBron and AD AD things, where they combined for almost 80 points together in um, in Game Five, and just take over. I I don't have much to say. The Lakers are that good. I expect the Lakers to come out of the West pretty handily, if I'm being completely honest. Um, any time that there's only four double-digit scores on the Lakers, but two, one of them, <laughs> Davis has 43 and LeBron has 36, you're probably winning games. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they've still got two of the top five uh, players in the game right now. They've got as deep and as solid of a bench as anybody. I, I mean, when you pair two top five players with a solid and deep roster, you're going to get good results. I don't know if I agree with you when you say I expect them out of the West handily because I think the Clippers also have a top five player and when he's on, arguably maybe even another top five player in Paul George, he can be that good at times and I think he will be motivated to turn it on against the Lakers. And their Clippers are just as good, just as deep. I think that's going to be a hell of a series, and I think it will probably be better than a potential any potential finals matchup. Yeah, sadly, I can't put any stock into Paul George turning it on. That's, um, that's, that's fair. I can't, I can't blame you on that one. Um, on the flip side, big ups to Carmelo Anthony, a guy that three years ago we were talking out of the league. I mean, he was getting passed around the Hawks, the Bulls, and every other team that could take a salary dump. To coming back to this postseason, having an extremely good postseason, dropping 27, uh, in 40 minutes for a guy his age, 27-7 rebounds. Hey, hats off to Carmelo, man. I, I hope he finds him a spot next year where he can accept a role 15 minutes off the bench, come in, knock down a couple threes, hit a nice little mid-range mid-range fade, and get on a contender like the Lakers. Um, I hope he finds himself a place like that. I can't see it happening with Carmelo's personality and what he wants, but, hey, a brother can hope, right? I I honestly think with the way he's played down the stretch that he's earned himself the right to start on the wing in Portland. I feel like that's his job to lose right now. Yeah, it is. But if I'm Carmelo, I want to go get a ring, and Portland's not that answer. If, that's if, fair. If I'm Melo. Yeah. I'm also not Carmelo. Yeah, I mean, if he, wants, if he wants to go team up with LeBron in L.A., I, I don't see him getting more than 20 minutes a game with the Lakers, but if he, although I did see, I don't know if you saw earlier this week, he did say he kind of was leaning towards wanting to stay in Portland. So I think if he stays there, he's got to, and maybe he realizes that, that yeah, he wants a ring, but he would rather get a ring as a contributor than kind of just team hopping to get a ring at the end. So he'd rather actually get some PT and try to make a run. You know, talking about Portland's roster for next year, uh, a backcourt of Lillard and McCollum is going to be very solid. You throw Gary Trent Jr., who I think has solidified himself a spot at the three role, and then you put Carmelo at the four and Nurkic at the five, that is a solid starting five. Uh, the problems really fall in when we were talking about the bench because there's yeah, absolutely Because the <laughs> then, then you have Hassan Whiteside. Uh, Mario Herzanja has no reason being on an NBA roster. Anthony Simmons, Simons, whatever his name is, is not very good. Um, Zach Collins is good, but we're going to have to see how he comes back. 
Nazir Little didn't play because of dehydration in an elimination game in the playoffs. So, I mean, their, their bench was horrendous. Yeah, they may have a good starting five for next year, but it, it, they need to add at least two scores off that bench. Yeah, they need some depth bad. Very bad. But, yeah, um, that series is that. Uh, the Bucks win 4-1 to as well versus the Magic. Another series where the Magic kicked game one. There was a bunch of people talking about uh, Giannis can't do it. Uh, you know, the, the Orlando Magic are real, etc. And guess what? Milwaukee ends up taking the next four. Giannis drops 28, 17 boards, three assists. Chris Middleton plays a lot better than he did early in the series, dropping 21. Brooke Lopez, 16, 7. They, they're another team. They have a really deep bench along with a good starting five, and that's really going to help them when they run into when they run into us, the Celtics or the Raptors here in, in, in the finals because I don't see Milwaukee really having troubles um, going out through the next the next series they have. I just, yeah, they, they're playing my – they'll Miami. play Miami. Yeah. Round, and I, I think that series was pretty chalk uh, from Milwaukee's perspective. I was really surprised to see them drop game one, but did we really expect them to drop anything else after that? Mm-hmm. Not at all. I, I was surprised Milwaukee – or uh, Miami ran through the Pacers like they did. Because yeah, those teams, to me, stack up pretty similarly. I mean, you got uh, two young – Big guys and uh, kind of the combo of uh, Sabonis and Turner in uh, Indiana, and then Bam Adebayo in Miami. You've got great wings in uh, Oladipo and Butler. Those are two teams that really are pretty similar to me, and I think they're what the four-five matchup. And yep. Miami kind of just walked all over. Yeah, when I agree with you, I really like Miles Turner. He can be the flip of the coin. Some days you don't know which Turner you're going to get. Malcolm Brogdon looked great at point guard for Indiana down the stretch. Um, but Oladipo's good. All around a good roster. But as we've said about three teams here already, it came down to the bench. And when your best bench options are Doug McDermott, Jakar Sampson, Aaron Holiday, in the in Miami's running Olenek, Derek Jones Jr., Iggy, Chris Nunn, and Tyler Hero all off the bench. Like that—that's a solid five off the bench there. That can give that all of them can give you ten points without even blinking. Um, so Indiana starting five matches up well, but it came down to the bench once again. Yeah, uh, uh, Miami definitely has a deeper bench. Uh, and w- one thing that uh, isn't I, now—I don't—I don't think by any means Miami is going to upset Milwaukee. But I would not be surprised if they steal game one like Orlando did. One thing that isn't lost on me, you know the last time Miami played? Let me know. Last Monday. Wow. Milwaukee just played yesterday, wrapped up their series. And I maybe you're a believer that more rest is better. Maybe nope. you're a believer that uh, more rest equals more rust. Um, but I... That could be a that could be a decent advantage for Miami, depending on how those guys like to sit, whether they'd rather go at it or take some time to recuperate. You know, I'm a momentum guy. Um, I've always believed teams that have the momentum coming off series. You know, you win three, two to three days later, you're playing another series where you're feeling good about yourselves. I feel like that's going to do a lot more for you than rest sometimes. Um, practice is practice. We're talking about NBA athletes here. Practice is just tune-ups. 
It's not it's not like they're working on their game, but so much Bam Abadayo isn't come you know making a three point shot. Isn't isn't mm-hmm. working on some specific. So I think it's just going to create more rust. It's not for Jimmy Butler, not for Goran Dragic, but maybe for some of these young guys that just want to go 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 all the time. You know that that's the difference. Pros always talk about what's the difference between a rookie and a ten year vet. Ten year vets know how to pace themselves. Um, and I and I worry about a guy like Hero Nun. Robinson that just want to go 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 and now they're kind of shut down for a while and then they have to get right back up I'm not sure how well they're going to be able to do that yeah uh, we'll, we'll have to see but just given that I wouldn't be surprised if Miami comes out and at least uh, plays a very tough game one yeah Butler is I, I put a, I put Bam on Giannis I think Bam's one of the more underrated players in the league the dude can do legitimately oh, he can do everything except shoot a three ball but who really cares when he's doing everything else um he's a Giannis light at this point he runs the floor he can honestly dribble a little bit he flies and he can guard one through five at six foot nine it's it's insane it is absolutely insane yeah he, he's extremely underrated and like you said Four-star talent, uh, basically just can't shoot the three ball. But yeah, when you you're surrounded by uh, some shooters, and even you got uh, big men shooters on that team like Olenek, guys like Duncan Robinson, Dragic, even Butler, you, you don't really need to shoot the three. He does exactly what they need him to do, and he does it really well. Yep, yep, I'm with you. But uh, touching on our last series here, Celtics Raptors. I actually got in the game one tonight. Celtics take it. Celtics are such a balanced team they're so deep everyone can score 20 points the starting lineup will give you 80 points to 90 points every game 20 from tatum 20 from uh, Jalen brown you're you're gonna get you're gonna get points in there it's hard not to talk good about the celtics i'm not exactly sure where their biggest hole is at least on that tonight, Tatum 21, Thies 13, Kimba 18, Smart 21. Anytime Marcus Smart's giving you 21 points and shooting five from nine from three, you better win a ball game. Jalen Brown 17, Robert Williams off the bench with 10. That will probably all put back dunks. Um, like, they're such a well-rounded team, and they're doing this without Ennis Cantor as well, who I think would fill a role better than Daniel Thies. Thies. Um, Ojale isn't bad off the bench. Maybe their bench is a little weak, but when you can get 90 points out of your starting starting five every single game, who cares? Yeah, they, they've been my finals pick uh, going into the playoffs. I, I think Milwaukee's looked a little rusty at times, but no, they're super deep, and they really uh, held Toronto's stars in check today. Uh, Van Vliet shot three of 16, two of 11 from three. Lowry shot five of 12, one of five from three. Siakam 15 or 5 of 16 of 3 from 3 so they, they were really able to shut down uh, the Raptors stars like you said uh, everybody in the Celtics starting lineup scored between 13 and 21 points all five of them in double digits they're they're just so balanced they're probably them and uh, the Lakers got have to be the most balanced teams in the league easily yeah I just I love Jason Tatum. I thought he should have been the first overall pick back when he got picked third. I thought he was a travesty. He got picked third because um, Boston got themselves a steal. I think he's going to be a star in this league for the next 15 years. Um, but on the other side with the Raptors, Siakam doesn't have the greatest of games going, only 13 points. 
and that's what I worry about with the Raptors is if Siakam isn't going, then they're relying on Fred Van Fleet, who I'm not ready to establish as a elite scorer in the NBA, and Kyle Lowry, who is not an elite scorer in the NBA. He's a great facilitator, great point guard, but he's not an elite scorer. And that's where I that's where I fall a little short on Toronto sometimes. I love Toronto. I love their energy. I love their offense. They get up and down the court. Nick Nurse is going to call the right plays and make the right subs. But if Pascal Siakam isn't scoring the basketball, they're going to lose. We talk about this all the time, uh, the difference between a great uh, regular season team and a great playoff team. And last year, Toronto was built to be a great playoff team as well because they had a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who's a top five player in the league at any time, two-way contributor. He's really, really turned into an elite player on the offensive end the last three, four years to go along with his always elite defense. Um, I know we talk about the A's a lot uh, in baseball, a team that has really good numbers on paper, but just doesn't quite stack up to some of the other elite teams in the playoffs because they have a bunch of really good players, but not elite players, especially in their pitching staff. And I kind of see that with Toronto too. They strike me as a great regular season team because they have a bunch of really good players, but they don't have that elite guy. I mean, you saw, I know it's just one game, but Siakam, Lowry, and Van Vliet all off. And if you're Toronto and you need a bucket at the end of the game, who do you go to? If you're Boston, you got Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum, who are both as legit as they come. If you're Toronto, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm not totally sold. All those guys are very good, but I just I feel like you need an elite stud in the playoffs to really, or at least two uh, two guys like Tatum Tatum and Kemba I wouldn't call it necessarily elite, but they're both I think noticeably better than anybody Toronto's running out there, and that's it. They're just a team that strikes me as really really good in the regular season, but they are missing that stud to help them through the playoffs. Yeah, it, this is in me no way saying that the Nuggets or the Jazz are better than the Raptors all around as a team, but if I'm the Utah Jazz or I'm the Denver Nuggets, who are teams that are considered to be way worse than them, they have good chances in the playoffs because they can hand the ball to even a guy like Donovan Mitchell, a guy like Jamal Murray, and say, go get me two points. Go get me three points. And I'm just not mentally there with Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, to say, hey, go score me a bucket. If anything, I'm putting the Kyle Lowry's hands and saying, go get me a bucket somehow. I don't care whether it's a driving kick. I don't care whether it's a pick and pop. I don't care what it is. But when you don't have a guy that you can give the ball to and say, go get me two, go get me three, go get me a foul, go get me a, a, a two and stop, you're going to be in trouble in the playoffs, especially when you're facing a top team with a, with a guy like that. Brad Stevens has no issues giving the ball to Jason Tatum and say, go score on the next five possessions. You don't have a single guy like that. You have to work through the offense for Toronto. And if Siakam's not making shots, it's not going to happen. Just flat out. Um, it's 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 rough because I like Toronto a lot. I love their team. I love Nick Nurse. I just Fred Van. They need one piece. Losing Kawhi and really not adding anybody is hurting them more than anything. Yeah. They, I, I was huge on Toronto after after losing Kawhi. I know Van Vliet and Siakam have continued to grow since last year, and they've gotten better. But anytime you take a top five player away and don't really make any other big additions, 
I it's hard, really hard for me to see them getting past even Boston, let alone Milwaukee. Yep, yep, I'm completely with you. Um, I think it's going to wrap us up here for the NBA. I want to touch on PGA real quick because I, I just kind of was looking through the ESPN app, and A, Tiger didn't qualify for the um, Players' Championship, which sucks. He was 13 over this weekend, which was really surprising that he made the cut and was like that, and then I started looking into it a little more. The winner of the tournament, John Rom, shot a four under in four rounds. The the Olympia Fields Country Club absolutely tore them a new one. The BMW Championship this weekend, like a four under for John Rom, who's one of the top ranks of the world. A four under from Dustin Johnson. There was only five players that were under par for all four rounds. Wow. Yeah. Which was... uh, now, I'll I'll just say straight up, I really didn't keep up with any of it this weekend but just to hear those uh numbers what you said four guys shot under par this weekend mm-hmm. is ridiculous because i'm used to uh seeing the leaderboards on sunday you'll see guys sitting anywhere between 18 under and 14 under for the weekend and yeah to see somebody sitting uh four under as the winner for a weekend tournament is pretty crazy shows you how much of hard time all of them had with that course this weekend yeah i mean rom was four under won it all uh dustin johnson four under kept placing second couple guys uh, two under tony fina one under and then two guys even and everyone else was above bar rory shot a three over bubba watson shot a four over uh, justin thomas shot a six over gary woodland shot a seven over it was Patrick Reed, 8 over. Bryson DeChambeau, 10 over. Tiger was 11 over. Uh, Matt Kutcher was 13 over. Like, Jason Day was 14 over. Like, these guys got eaten alive. Partially due because this is, for some reason, a par 70 instead of a par 72 course. So that obviously had something to do with it. But just ate them alive this wouldn't, weekend. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be, in theory, an easier course? Or do you think there's a couple, like really long par fours that most other places would probably be par fives i think in theory that it would be easier like that's usually how it works but it was probably a course that was deemed too a little too easy in the past and bumping that part of something making maybe a par yeah exactly what you said a par five a par four two two par fives turned into par fours there even then, though, in theory, that would really only add two strokes to uh, everybody's score. So if you're Dustin Johnson, you usually shoot a 10 to 12 under. You're looking at an 8 to 10 under, maybe. But yeah, to see like Jason Day shoot a 14 over, I, I, I wouldn't even pin that on it being a par 70. I think that just shows you how hard that course is. Yeah. Um, last thing I think we're going to touch on here, Messi leaving... Um, Barca, which, or I guess Man United, sorry. I don't watch enough soccer to know. Uh, I feel like it's something big we need to touch on. I don't watch any soccer, but when it, usually when I recognize a name and someone leaving a club like that, it's kind of surprising. And I know the top bet right now is for him to go to Man City. Um, I would love if somebody could DM me or text me about these rivalries because I have no idea what I'm talking about. I feel like that'd be like a player going from the Yankees to the Red Sox or a player like, Larry Bird going from the Celtics to the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts on Messi leaving, leaving Man United? 
Yeah, uh, I kind of didn't see that coming. I'd almost feel like if Derek Jeter decided uh, after like the 09 World Series that he was just, all right, I'm done. I'm going to the Dodgers or something like that. that that's what I'm saying. It's just weird to me. I, I, again, I don't watch enough soccer to really understand it, but it just it felt weird. And actually, one last thing. NCAA football is randomly starting up. Austin P. Scoring on the first offensive play of the game. Little, was 650, 60-yard touchdown run. Um, yeah. You know, college football, I guess, is back. I guess we'll see where that goes, right? Um, I know LSU's big stud decided to opt out today. Um, I believe I read that right on ESPN. Yeah. Yeah, Jamar Chase opted out. He was uh, the number fourth ranked receiver for next year's draft. Yeah, I just big, big, I guess we'll see what big, this name, goes. big name for them and big name for college football to see him opt out, especially this late. They're very close to starting now. Yeah, I guess we'll see where this goes. Um, I mean, the COVID numbers from the University of Alabama looks scary. Uh, they're over a thousand cases. Yeah, my point exactly, and they're only growing. I know you. I'm sure you saw the tweets from Auburn of the lady just taking videos and photos of an absolute rager going out of Auburn. Um, I, I, I don't want to sit here and stress on the Corona thing, the COVID thing too long. We've done that a thousand times, but it seems pretty, pretty, um, I guess, newsworthy as college football seems to attempt to start up. I still think if there's a school that can do it right now, it's like I would just do what UNC does. And if you want to bring the fall athletes on campus for the fall and quarantine them in the hundreds of dorms that these enormous campuses have and have all the other students from online learning, then that's how I would personally do it. But that just seems like the most responsible way to do things, but I'm, I'm really not sure. I just, I, it's a mess. I guess we'll see where it goes. Here's my question, and I'm kind of curious on your take on this. Um, the NCAA has deemed uh student athletes to be student athletes right they're considered amateurs and if you're the ncaa and i i kind of lean one way on this but i'm curious uh what you think how do you send students home from campus you're like it's not safe for you as a student to be here and I, I mean, just in general, pretty much everybody's, uh, as a student, all of your extracurriculars are online. They're like a couple of my clubs this semester, we're not meeting in person. We have no plans to meet in person because it's just not that safe. And it's, we are here to be students and it's an added risk to do that. And if you, if you're the NCAA and you want to call these uh, athletes, student athletes, that they're students first, and you want to call them amateurs, how do you say that and then also turn around and say, well, we're going to keep you on campus and you're going to continue to play, even though every other student's extracurriculars have basically been canceled? <sighs> I, I mean, that's more or less an admission of them not really being amateurs, right? Because the NCAA does not care about your status. They care about what's going in their pocket. That, yeah. that is the, the NCAA cares about one thing, and it's the bottom line of their financial report every cover or every quarter, especially the Q3 and Q4s with football and basketball. And Q1s, I guess that would be NCAA basketball as well. Um, that's all they care about is, is Q3, 4, and 1. 
Um, and what they're going to make off those two sports. They, they, the NCAA doesn't even care about women's field hockey. The NCAA doesn't care about men's baseball. The NCAA doesn't care about NCAA softball. They care about two things, and that is football and basketball. And men's basketball at that. They, they could care less about women's basketball either. You can tell by the way they promote it, by the way you can get in games, by all this. Um, the NCAA is one of the biggest hypocritical sports organizations in the world. They'll say one thing and mean another. They will create a video game for a good 10 years and use your likeness and very obviously your likeness but not give you a single shred of a dollar. They will do it with basketball as well. They will promote the living crap out of you and make a ton of money off TV sales and you won't see a penny of that. You can get kicked, you can get suspended for a year if your coach buys you a burger after a game because you can't afford food and the dining room isn't open at night if you're, you know, a smaller D1 school. Um, the, the NCAA is a hypocrite, man. So they're going to do what they're going to do. I think it's messed up. If, if a student in the, or in the school deems that it is not safe for students to be on campus and theater gets cut because they can't be on campus and drama and every other extracurricular gets cut, then football and basketball have no reason to be playing. But hey, man. Whatever money the NCAA oh. can make is whatever the NCAA can make. And I have, I really don't necessarily have a problem with them trying to play this year, as long as the players, the coaches, the administration, the NCAA all believe that it is safe to play. Uh, I know the, I think the ACC just upped their testing requirements from. Originally, I think they were only testing three days before the game, and now they're testing every other day, including the day before the game, which I think is a huge step in the right direction, and it's going to help a lot. Um, so, yeah, if they deem it safe, I don't really have a problem with them playing, but I I really think that's got to lead to the somewhat admission that these athletes aren't really just students that play athletics on the side. They are here for athletics, and they're just getting a degree because the NCAA says they have to. And they're not really amateurs in any sense of the word. And I think that a lot of those rules you alluded to, like a coach not being able to buy a player a burger after the game because the dining halls are closed and the player doesn't have enough money to get food, those kind of rules stem from the fact that the NCAA wants to keep the guise of being amateur athletes. Yep, the the NCAA being able to keep it athlete amateur allows there to be no lawsuits for athletes to get paid legally. Um, they obviously can do it behind the NCAA's eyes. Every single NBA and NFL prospect does it. They're all getting paid. Let's not be ignorant to the fact. But, I, dude, I hate the NCAA because my biggest problem with the NCAA right now is women's field hockey. Like, what, what, what do we do about that? What do we do about all these other fall sports? Yeah, football yeah. can play cool. You know why? Because it brings in the university money. It brings in the NCAA money. It looks good. But, hey, the smaller sports can't play. Like, what are they going to even do if, if COVID is still, like, right now, if we just fast forward to the spring season, what are they going to do about baseball? Baseball doesn't bring in money. Baseball is no different than field hockey. It does not bring in money. There are not ticket sales to the majority of games, and if they are, they're really cheap. Baseball is not not an exciting sport. I think baseball will play because it's one of the big three. But you can't leave out sports for the sake of other sports. 
Yeah, I, I mean, that's another thing. If you're going to say, well, they're there, it's an extracurricular, it's not, they're not amateurs, they're not here to make money for the schools. How, again, like, you're either going to argue that they're only playing football because that's the only sport that can sustain itself monetarily, but then what does that lead you back to? Or if you still want to argue they're amateurs and it's more of an extracurricular activity, yeah, how do you justify playing football and not hardly any other sport? Because you can do all of the things you're doing to make football safe for other sports. It's just a matter of them not wanting to because it's going to cost them more money that they're not going to make back. Bingo. And the, I just – And I, also, yeah, I Title mean, IX, um, they're, they're going to have to – foot that bill eventually because uh, you don't think some of these women's sports are going to end up suing their schools in the NCAA for providing all this testing and doing all that and going the extra mile for football that I they may not do for other sports and still allow them to play we'll see but uh, I think just from title 9 purposes I think they're going to have to have at least a few other sports that they're going to have to make the same effort as they're doing for football yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. And it, it, it's just one big circle. And even even if we're not talking about sports, how do you deem it safe to play football with the theater club or the theater program or the dance club or whatever other extracurricular club that campuses may have that I don't know about? How do you deem it safe for everyone else to be on campus to play football, but not for that? I can understand it's not NCAA regulated, but still, same concept. A school can't do that. A school cannot tell a group of 50 students who their life is devoted to theater and acting and music and Broadway and stuff like that. Tell them, yeah, campus isn't safe. But, hey, you can watch us play on Saturday night at 7 o'clock. Yeah, it's, that's it's, the it's, other. Like, you're in – by sending everybody else home like UNC did, you automatically make it much more safer for the athletes that are there. But, again, what does that lead you to? Why are they different than anybody else? Why are they the ones staying behind? Why do they stay behind and not like, shoot, my uh, financial planning association club at Virginia Tech, we would love to um, have everybody sent home and create a bubble for just the 50 of us and we'll be able to meet in person and uh, have advisors on campus and meet them in person and continue business as usual for us. That would be great. Why can't we do that? Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100%. NCAA, man, biggest hypocrites. All they care about is their bottom line at the end of the year. Yeah, and, and you know what? If they want to come out and say, yeah, we're in for the money and we're going to play football this fall, fine. But stop going under the guise of they're amateur student athletes. They're here to be students. They're athletes second. And then do everything they say flies in the face of that. I'm 100% with you, man. If you're if you're transparent and honest about your goals and what you're setting forth, then so be it. But, hey man, they're a shady organization. Well, so transparency, in their case, transparency and honesty does not lead to more money. It leads to less money. So they, they don't consider that a job requirement. Bingo. Just like the kid who tried to transfer to Virginia Tech, or he was either to Virginia Tech or from Virginia Tech because his mom was, like, terminally ill or something and he couldn't get a transfer oh, yeah. waiver. So... But Justin Fields can get one. He tried to transfer transfer from Coastal Carolina to Virginia Tech uh, to be closer to home to his mom, who's been battling cancer for four or five years, I think. Um, and she had gotten a little bit worse, so he was trying to transfer to get closer to home. 
the NCAA denied his application for immediate eligibility because his residence in Blacksburg was five miles outside the radius that you need to be within to be considered immediately eligible uh, because you're moving home to be closer to a family medical emergency. Basically, his house was five miles outside the radius. So the NCAA's independent, quote, independent doctors that didn't even speak to the kid's mom or anybody in his family somehow deemed that his mom was okay enough that he didn't need to be able to go visit. Yeah, but uh, meanwhile, Justin Fields can get one to transfer from Georgia to Ohio, Ohio State, and any other five-star quarterback can get one to transfer to wherever they, they want. That went from Ohio State. At least Fields was kind of smart about it, and I think kind of put the NCAA in handcuffs. Um, I think he, as far as I understood it, he basically pulled up a bunch of racist tweets that fans had sent him and uh, racist things that people had said to him and said, hey, look, I don't feel comfortable here because of this. I want to transfer. If you're the NCAA, your hands are kind of tied. What do you say? Uh, you, nah, people being racist to you and threatening you doesn't matter. You stay here. So he kind of tied their hands. But a guy like Tate Martell transfers from Ohio State to Miami and gets immediate eligibility. I, I don't. Some of the guys get waivers. And then uh, seeing the other guys' cases that get denied, it just baffles me. It's like flipping a coin, basically. And that's just another thing that NCAA leads back to money because they want to see star players play. Justin, oh, they, they want to see Justin Fields on the field for Ohio State instead of backing up Jake Fromm, and it leads back to money. Anyways, that's that's the NCAA is a corrupt organization. I, I was in it for four years. They're a bunch of crooks all the way down to the team school level. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Um, Call of Duty. League, I guess that's what it's called. It's not the CWL anymore. Just finished up today. Dallas Empire taking overall the online championship. I'll put that in air quotes just because it's online. But while we can sit here, we can kind of rag on the CDL for a while just because of their production. I want to talk about Modern Warfare just strictly as a game and how bad it was. I'm joined here with Ray, who we play pretty often. Ray's competitive enough to uh, to understand why it's not the greatest game in the world. Um, and I, I want to start off with a hot statement by saying Modern Warfare is a bottom three Call of Duty of all time when it comes to multiplayer, and Warzone was the only thing that partially saved that game. Uh, uh, it just... And Warzone sucks, too. I'd say as a community, like, Warzone did save it, but I was never a big fan of it. But saying it's a bottom three, is that... You think so? I, I was never a fan of, like, Infinite Warfare or Advanced Warfare. Well, those are the bottom two. Those are the other two there with them. Where, where, where would you put Ghost? Uh, right, right about Modern Warfare. I, th I think Ghost gets a lot of hate just right. because it was that's way, fair. just because Ghost wasn't as OP as prior games. Because dude, that's the thing about COD is people reminisce way too much on MW two, like it was God's given game, but they forget how ridiculously unbalanced and stupid that game was. I see can... Modern Warfare two is my first multiplayer game that I hopped on. That and Black Ops. Dude, it was mine too, and I can just see the new tubes raining down from over the helicopter. <laughs> I, can, I can just see them in the back of my head. Streaks kind of towards nukes, like, I don't know. But back on Modern Warfare, man, I just, I don't understand why Infinity War did 90% 90, 90 of the things they did. Um, doors in the, the first place. One big thing I'd say I didn't understand was 
the ranking slash prestige system, how it like resets to 50 or 55, and you gotta go back up to 155. That's the only thing that I would be a big complainer about. Bro, I don't get it. Who asked for that change? Did anyone ask for that change? Like at all? Ever? <laughs> like, like who who wanna, who in God's name wants to just grind out 100 levels and then have to reset every like 60 days because there's a new battle pass? Like this isn't Fortnite, homie. Don't don't make it Fortnite. Like Prestige has been in Black Ops, or I guess in Call of Duty period, for as long as I can possibly remember. I remember it was a thing to like Prestige on the first night you'd get a game. Like, <laughs> cool, bro. Look, I'm, one, I'm, I'm level 155, man. I'm so good at the game. I, I don't get it, bro. Uh, yeah, I say that would probably be my biggest outside of gameplay complaint because I love the Black Ops Prestige system, especially the emblems. I love. Like, I know, was it Black Ops 2? There's a bunch of, like, mythology emblems. I thought that was mm -hmm. pretty dope. Yeah, dude. There's, outside of the game, man, they didn't have a hard point in the game. Off rip. Brother, that is literally one of the two game modes for competitive. And you don't have it in the game. And when you do put it in the game, you have, dude, you know Hackney Yard had 20 hard point hills when they first put hard point in? I can only imagine how spawns would be. Bro, I was just listening to Slasher. <laughs> I was just listening to Slasher talk about it the other day. He was when they first put hardpoint in the game. Slasher and OGLA were like playing, playing in like a custom game or something. And he got to the fourth point, and he was like, "Okay, it's going back to first, right? No, it went to fifth. He was like, "Oh, it has to be going back to the next one." And you know, Hackney. <laughs> and you know, Hackney. Um, when you spawn on the side, it's it's considered bad side for the spawn. It's a two. It's a two-story room. Okay. Uh, where P five is all the way in the back. P five, P six was just the floor above it. Was just the second floor of the building. That was the rotation, <laughs> up a staircase. <laughs> like, what was IW thinking with that implement? I I don't understand it. We're not even talking gameplay. We're talking a game mode. We haven't even touched on doors, gun balancing, any of that stuff, man. I, I don't understand how this game flopped this bad. I mean, should we even touch gun balancing? It's not like the the dev team has. No, what would what 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 we get what 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 we get one one weapon tuning for like seven months? Yeah, I think that's what it was it. It was like the uh the shotgun the 725 it was like all right we're gonna make it a little less powerful we're probably just gonna make the range instead of 30 meters like 20 28 yeah 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 and that's right it took them a month and a half to, to nerf the 725 that was mapping me that was outgunning an ar from range i think it's a problem when you can put an acog on a shotgun and just be able to snipe people yep even without slugs with like standard rounds <laughs> standard rounds you could snipe people in pubs Oh my gosh, dude! Why why would you put in doors? Explain to me this. I, I want to hear your perspective on this. Why are doors in a Call of Duty arcade style game? Um, I'm trying to think, and honestly, nothing's really coming to me. <laughs> the, only... the one map I'm thinking of that, like, I could see a door in, like, outside of this game, would be like Standoff and Black Ops Two. Like, I can see them putting a couple doors there, but I don't... There's no point to it. Like, you're you going to close it and somebody's going to shoot through it or run through it? Dude, they put it back there for the sole reason so some just absolute dog meat player can sit back there with a Claymore in his M4 that has zero recoil on it 
so you cannot see them when you're coming around the corner at first so they can get the jump on you like i like from a competitive standpoint doors were a waste of time um how about ttk you could blink and you would be dead in this game i mean we were going from black ops 4 who had 150 health that was a little bit too long to modern warfare that was three bullets in a kill and if you hit a headshot it was basically two I feel like they're just trying to change stuff up to try and appease people because it went from what was it you had to stem shot yourself to heal in black ops 4 mm-hmm. and then now it's just longer time to kill or shorter time to kill and less stem shotting so i don't, I don't know what they're trying to do I, I guess but like you couldn't find a nice equal medium like black ops 3 or even or like world war 2 like those had normal ttks like like I, I could turn on people, but I, uh, I could also get fried. Like there was a nice balance. This game, it was just I'm getting, you get fried. If you do not get first shot, you get absolutely cooked, and I mean cooked, no matter what gun you're using. And how about, yeah. I don't, I don't understand, bro. What, what were they doing with maps though? Maps, like, like I'm really banking on something good here, like. You, you create a hardpoint map, and on every hardpoint map, there's an obvious good and bad side because based on how quickly you can get to each point, how quickly you can hold spawns, because the the, the hardpoint rotation would always go one was in the middle of the map, and two would always be on the complete side of a spawn. It would be behind like a coalition spawn. Like, what was the point of that? It really shouldn't be like that. It should go one should be in the middle, and then you should go diagonal left or right. In no world should you go straight back to a spawn. Yeah, I feel like playing back to a spawn, I guess it gives it a more competitive feel for trying to either flip the spawn or hold it. And then you, like, switch sides at halftime. Is there halftime in hardpoint? Yeah. No, just Dom. Oh, that's just Dom? Oh, then, uh, <laughs> I guess you better flip it or you're screwed. Like, like, yeah, yeah, like, when I'm playing a competitive first-person shooter, my number one goal should be to flip spots. It should be to kill the other team and work through. It should not be, dude, I have to hit, I have to hit a flank here to flip spots so we can even, like, get on the scoreboard. Like, I, that's, that's all I'm saying, man. Yeah, was a uh, spawns good enough for spawn trapping in this game? No, because the spawns were completely messed up. Yeah, after watching a couple of your uh, Black Ops three streams on a uh, Twitch at twitch.tv slash two six, you want to tune in? Do the plug. Um, the plug. <laughs> but uh, watching you play Nuketown and just having spawn trappers, going from that to this is totally different. Bro, not a single pro player who plays eight hours minimum a day of this game can explain spawns. So literally no one can. It's it's some kind of like, you know how like battlefields you could spawn on people. Yeah. It's it's some kind of variation of that, um, that no one can really ever figure out. Like there was a match earlier this year. OGLA was playing Florida, and OGLA had C flag in the back of Hackney and was pushed up into B, but not far enough to like a flip a spawn. Right? They were like at B flag, yeah. which is in that warehouse on Hackney. Um. And yeah, all, all of Florida was at A, so all the way on the cross side of the map, and one of Florida's people split spawned at C for no reason, and got to flank Florida, and, or got to flank OGLA and beat him. Like, uh, he, why did they flip? Why did he spawn C? Why did he spawn all the way across the map? No one knows. No one can figure out. It happened like three times this year. Yeah, that's just a competitive advantage right there. Yeah, good, you're good right. kid. You're right. You're right. <laughs>
You're right. But wel- welcome, welcome to Modern Warfare. Guns don't have any recoil. Can we talk about the pre-patch growl too? By the way, I have never ego child a sniper in my life with an AR. But I was ego child a sniper like I had a Spartan laser in Halo. I mean, I still use the growl post patch. So do I. It still shoots. <laughs> Thing's still a laser. And then the oh, Bru- yeah. the Bruin was also a laser in Warzone. Like I, I don't understand. So you franchise a league, right? You you make these groups and these organizations pay twenty five million dollars for a spot, and that was enough for organizations like One Hundred Thieves, an organization like Splice, organization like E Six, all you know, all these prestigious Call of Duty. Um, organizations to be like, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't like it. I don't think so. But, you know, those are a few that made itself over. And then you create a game where you don't listen to your pros. You do everything possible to make the game noob friendly. You don't have any weapon balancing. Maps are bad. Spawns are bad. And then your de- your dev team acts like they do not care. How are you, Joe Seacott, the lead MP dev? You do not care. The, the not the lead, but like the co-lead MP dev came out in 2019 and said that esports ruined Call of Duty in gaming in general. How are you going to franchise a league like this with your dev, with your developers saying things like that? I don't understand. That's just hypocritical. Imagine, imagine like creating a sport and being like, yeah, I actually hate it. So, but I'm going to run it. It's okay. No, I was always against the franchising because I feel like half the fun of watching a Call of Duty tournament was watching a underdog come out from the uh, open bracket. Yep. And just seeing them come up, like, was it was like 64 teams in the open bracket, and mm-hmm. the couple get to come through or something like that. Yep. I feel like that was a great thing to watch, and then now all these teams move into cities, like, I don't know. What? Maybe it's a money move. It is. It's, it's, I mean, 25 mil is definitely a money move. <laughs> oh, it's definitely a money move. But, like, even if you're going to make a money move, at least act like you care a little bit. Don't completely, like, negate anything that's happened. Like, don't act like, you know, like it's not there. Like, you don't talk to your pros. Like, like if I'm a dev, right, and Treyarch's already doing this from what I've heard, uh, from all the leaks I've seen. If I'm a dev, if I'm Joe Seacott, right, I'm going to probably be asking Krim, Clayster, Skunk, Formal, um, Arsides, uh, Sip, Abizi, Celium methods i'm gonna be asking these guys hey what can be changed in the game what's not quite right uh what's a little off what needs tuning so the game can be as competitive as possible while also keeping the same kind of core values of you know we don't want kids to get beat so bad they don't ever want to play a cod game again you know what i'm saying oh i definitely agree like who better to ask than the people who play eight to ten hours a day for their for a living pretty much that what these pros do they sit in there and stream or if they're not really streaming they might make youtube content or any, like they have scrims every day uh, yeah the scrims then they have like a fan bases and crowds behind them that can give them input or something like just i don't it doesn't make sense not to ask them yeah i mean that Treyarch does it david vonhar and the the Treyarch group does it and that's why the best comp games of all time have been black ops 2 black ops 3 even black ops 4 competitively was solid World War II with Sledgehammer, there are ass that are pros. That's one of the top games. Uh, I believe AW was Sledgehammer as well, and that was a solid competitive game. IW has never made a good competitive game, <laughs> and it shows why. It's because all they care about is making money. Uh, IW is the developer for noobs. They they took 
Modern Warfare on a basis and created this this game that just catered to the old heads that were tired of jetpacks and like slide canceling and guess what slide canceling was still in the game I just I don't understand how you can how you can make a game so uncompetitive while also bringing in a complete competitive league yeah I feel like the is it the CDL now yeah is that what it's called yeah the CDL I feel like that's a big it can be a big revenue if they direct it the right way I know other uh, video games with bigger esports like League and Dota and all that type of stuff, they advertise it a lot better, I feel like. I feel like in Call of Duty, it's just a money grab. You can buy this skin, you can look like a Chicago Huntsman or a Dallas Empire dude and just like wear it around, but I feel like they need to advertise their pros and the streams more. Give them more viewership, more money. Well, yeah, you got Dota, you got Overwatch, you got League of Legends, even Fortnite's competitive scene is huge, where, like, their, their I guess, takes are taken into advantage. Uh, 2K, basketballs like that, like, every competitive league talks to their devs about it, and uh, that helps. But you know what else kills Fortnite? Or, I said Fortnite, lol. Kills Call of Duty. Is the fact that we have a different developer developing a game every single year. It's like, what is it? It's three of them. It's, it's IW. Uh, Treyarch and Sledgehammer. And Overwatch, they just get updates. Fortnite, they just get updates. Um, League just gets updates. CS just gets updates. It would seem like Valorant just get updates. We don't, we don't have CS 12. You know what I'm saying? Where it's a completely different game than CS 11. Or Overwatch 12 and it's completely different than Overwatch 11. So would you be opposed to a longer life cycle of a game? Like, say, they just do more roll in weekly or bi-weekly updates and say they don't release another Call of Duty for, say, two years and just see how it goes? I would, except if that would happen and there's a game like Modern Warfare, I'd probably jump off a bridge. Here's what I would do. I would... I would give Modern Warfare Warzone, or I mean Modern Warfare, I would give Infinity Ward Warzone and the campaign, and I would give Treyarch and Sledgehammer, Zombies, and Multiplayer. And that's what I would roll with. Because IW has done a great job from, you know, the public reaction, at least, on how they've done with uh, Warzone. Mo most people like Warzone. It's It's been the best game mode Modern Warfare has had to offer. But Treyarch has been head and shoulders above in the multiplayer department and Zombies. So just give them Zombies and then let, let IW develop a campaign every year and just throw it into an update. And that's what you roll with. IW, take care of Warzone. Treyarch, take care of multiplayer and zombies. Sledgehammer, help Treyarch when you need to. And we just have one game, Call of Duty. Boom. And it just updates. Updates. And we get patch notes. You know what I'm saying? Boy, you think our updates are big now? Just wait till uh, you got zombies, Warzone, and multiplayer and all in there. That's what, that's what we're about to get for Cold War anyways. We're about to be getting some 400 to 400 up gigabyte updates. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. There'll be some game-breaking glitch I'll see on Twitter. The next thing you know, we'll have a 200 gigabyte update to fix a, a wall hack that they accidentally left in the game. But I'm not... I'd definitely not be opposed to that. That's pretty much how Smite is run. It's a MOBA I play a lot. You just do... They do weekly updates, and they pretty much... It's the same game the past four years. Exactly, and like, like, could you imagine having like a war zone that's you know pretty good, and then you have, uh, then you have like David Vonda, who's considered the the multiplayer genius that he is, 
um, you know, he his only focus is to work on multiplayer. His only focus is to talk to competitive players, figure out what's wrong with the game, fix the game, and just balance it well like he's always done. He doesn't have to worry about Blackout or Warzone. He doesn't have to worry about a campaign. You have a, you have Treyarch and Sledgehammer zombie devs teams combine and work on zombies all the time, just map after map after map with updates. I think that's the move for Call of Duty in the future. They won't ever turn to it because it makes them they'll lose money, or I guess they won't make as much money as possible. Um, I mean, microtransactions, you put a bunch of skins in the game, bro. Every other game does it. I think that's where yeah, you should honestly, go with If it. there was, like, dope gun camos or something, I would definitely try to cop a couple. Bro, that's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm saying. I think that's the future of Call of Duty. Let me buy them instead of having to get 200 mounted kills. I heard that one. I heard <laughs> that one. As someone with platinum subs, uh, I think I only have one gun left in AR. Complete gold snipers never make me do a mounted kill again. I would rather just jump off a bridge. I would rather jump off a bridge than ever do anything like that again. Um. Yeah. Any final thoughts there, Raymond? Uh, this might be, might be a long, not a long discussion, but a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel about the specialists? How, say in Black Ops. Three, mm-hmm. I think it was. How they had like scythe and that, and then. Yeah. Um. I don't mind them for pubs. Like I thought, Black Ops Three did a lot better job than Black Ops Four. Black Ops Four were pretty OP. Uh, I like the Black Ops 3 ones, and, and when we're talking about competitive, like the passive ones that you need to know when to activate, such as like active camo, heat wave, you know, things that happen once, um, you know, glitch, yeah. glitch, things that don't kill you or kill the other person, vision pulse, but, you know, they overdrive. That, there's a bunch of different like passive specialists that I think could be used in competitive that could be completely fine and aren't OP whatsoever. But when you get stuff like um, the Annihilator, the Tempest, the War Machine, um, Scythe from the Reaper was just absolutely disgusting and pulling those hands back in Black Ops Three, like st- stuff like that. That's that's when you're pushing the line. But past specialist man, I'm I'm all cool with them. I'm completely cool with it. I think that'd be interesting to see what type of route they go in Black Ops, what uh, Cold War actually. Black Ops Five, same see, thing. Yeah, just to see what they do since it's uh, Black Ops One sequel. Yeah, I, for some reason I doubt we have them, bro. The noobs are back in COD, <laughs> from from what it seems like, and they're just gonna be mad if they if, if some kid is just using his abilities better than them. Do but, you think there would be a system similar to Modern Warfare? How, I guess the specialist technically would be like Dead Silence. No, not well. Dead Silence a perk, but something similar to that. Dude, that dude. I hope not. Like a field upgrade. I hope not. I hated field upgrades. Make Dead Silence a perk. Just let me run a trophy system and have Dead Silence as my third perk. Like, it's not that hard. It's not that difficult of a thing to do. I, I don't understand why that ever changed. Like, honestly, like that was the stupidest thing to me. Field upgrades in Modern Warfare was just... I, I didn't understand why I had to wait for Dead Silence. Like, why why were my feet all of a sudden getting quiet? Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. But, you know... They're gonna do whatever the crappy community wants them to do. So let's 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 keep it a brick. You know what I'm I saying? mean, end of the day, people like me and you are probably gonna shove sixty dollars in their face, buy the new Call of Duty every year, play oh, yeah. it at least for a month. <laughs> We're gonna play it at least a little bit, and they still get their money. So yeah, I'll play it plenty, but like, 
I, I just wish they would do a better job, honestly. Like, if yeah, I have the, the thing that keeps bringing me back to Call of Duty is, is Treyarch will put out a really good game, and I'll be excited for Infinity War to do it, and then they'll crap the bed, and then I'll see the update, or I'll see the trailer for Sledgehammer or Infinity War where it looks good again, and I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It'll be a decent game, and then I'll, like, bank on Infinity War doing it, and then I'll get upset. It's just one big cycle of Infinity War. It sucks. It's literally just one big cycle of IW sucks. Yeah, I feel like the constant cycle of maybe maybe this game will be good, maybe this game will be good, mm-hmm. is just it's going over and over again. Well, one thing I'm excited for, though, would be zombies. David Vonderhaar never messes that up, I feel like. Bro, Treyarch never messes that up. I'm so excited for zombies, man. I am beyond excited for zombies. I still hope there's a similar story. not uh, Maybe not similar, but some type of storyline to them, just like in the Black Ops, Black Ops 2, Black Ops 3 days. Yeah, I know Ether's dead. Um, they finished off in Black Ops 4. The Chaos storyline looks pretty bad. I'm really hoping that um, that they come up with like a, like one that didn't get as wild as it, it seemed like um, the uh, whichever one did. Um, crap, what was it called? Uh, Ether did. I I just feel like Ether got a little confusing in Black Ops 3 when they like had to like I don't know, but. Hey, yeah, I do hope there's a storyline. I, I can't get behind that. I do hope there's a storyline. Yeah, I definitely feel like they started small, and they saw how big the community for zombies was back in the day, and they just kind of blew it way out of proportion, going from transit to, like, uh, just, you're jumping around in space on the last deal, Revelations, I think mm-hmm. it was. Yep. You're just jumping around in space or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, the Revelations became, like, this space map that had, like, knocked in it. It had or pieces of origins in it. I, I didn't understand like what the purpose was. It it, it went zero to hundred real quick. Like like yeah. origins took off. Origins made sense. You know they found the rocks, uh, the the one one five element, and then it was like oh they found it. Okay, time to go to space. Let's go. Yeah, I feel like the basic storyline of an evil Nazi doctor just mm-hmm. spiraled out of control to a like an evil little girl and Nazi doctor conscience or something like that. It just went crazy. Yeah, you, you found out like Maxis's daughter was like, ah, yeah, I'm, I, hey, I'm with you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I'm with you. Um, yeah, but I think it's going to wrap us up here on the eSports talk. I, I guess we'll be back when, I guess as Cold War gets closer, more leaks happen. Um, right now we're 76 days out of it. Beta is coming October 8th, last time I checked on PS4, um, so any of you are not on PS4, suck it, um, but I think that's going to wrap us up here. Thank you, Ray, for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me.